Well, we'll give another sports hour. report. Uh, he, the guy he does the golf hour here, the most boring hour in all of radio, two to three on Sundays. He stole my hour. And that's all I hear about him golfing with Donald Trump. Wait a minute, he had the he had the former president on this past weekend in a nationally covered. Yeah, interview. well, he's his caddy. I mean, every time Trump wants to go out on the links, he calls up Andrew. Hey, Andrew, uh, can you watch my balls here? That's not what he said. It's true. It's true. <laughs> not... Am I right, Andrew, or what? Salewa, your balls aren't worth washing. We'll there you go. There, there you go. go. Tell him. I've been listening all morning over here, Sliwa, and you're back and forth. At one point, you want to give Rudy Giuliani a state park over here, and now you're complaining all about the fireworks over here. Well, i got to tell you, you two knuckleheads, the only intelligent thing that I've heard all morning has been from James Flippin, who said a name, Jason Pierre-Paul. As a Giant fan, a diehard Giant fan, I am still scarred by the fireworks of Jason Pierre-Paul. So I say, if Rudy Giuliani did not cut those fireworks off, maybe the New York Yankees would not have won those four world championships. Maybe the Giants would not have won in 2007. Tell me you never had sparklers in your hand. Tell me that uh, that Rudy and your mother, Donna Hanover, uh, actually deprived you of a kid's rite of passage by having sparklers in your hand? At the... uh, I am taking the fifth on that. I'm taking the fifth. My attorney is recommended to take the fifth, and I choose to take the fifth. I will not incriminate myself. So you had the, you had your former boss, the former president, on this past weekend. You know, I saw other networks had picked it up. Long interview. The guy certainly looks like he's rolling to the nomination. You know, I, I got to tell you, Anthony, and to me, this is kind of the biggest juxtaposition between DeSantis and Trump that you see. I unlike many in Trump world, if you will. I think DeSantis has done a very good job down in Florida. Um, I think the real difference between the two of them is as candidates, right? You look at DeSantis, and it seems like coming out of the gate, he's made misstep after misstep, whether it was the announcement on Twitter. It seems like some of these ads that are coming out, some get some positive reaction, some get some negative. But I've sat through about four or five different speeches of DeSantis from start to finish. And it's very difficult to stay with him. Some of these policy speeches, I think, look, I think he's very good in terms of the policies. I think he's pushing it out there in Florida. And you can see that's why people are going down to Florida. You're seeing more New Yorkers, more people from blue states moving down that way. But the issue to me is he doesn't really understand how to deliver the political speech, how to get his points out there. One of the big juxtapositions, I would say, is looking at the Reagan, whenever, whenever DeSantis quotes Reagan, which is what he likes to do, he seems to explain the quote. And that's one of the things well, that Reagan well, did. Now, hold on a second, Andrew. Let me tell you something. Yeah. You know I was with your daddy in 88 the first time around. This is good. And, and this is what I wanted to get to. So and, you go ahead. And, and I remember this. your father in his first campaign against Dinkins, where he barely lost. Roger Ailes was his um, campaign manager. Would go on and on and on. Rudy, come on already. Over, over. He'd answer a question 15 minutes like a professor. Second time around with David Garth as his campaign manager, who had brought Lindsay and Koch to victory. He was truncated. He now was a retail politician. It takes time, Andrew. It takes time. It, it takes time, but I think it's one of these things that, As a governor who's won twice, he should be able to get his points out there in the first 
45 seconds to minute of a point, and then you go through. You tell them what you're going to tell them, then you actually tell them, and then you told them what you said. So you're right. I think he needs a little time to work on this, but it does not seem like he's ready for the biggest of the big leagues, which is battling with Donald Trump. That's why I think it's going to be so fascinating whether or not Trump decides to actually debate. What do you guys think? Because when you see somebody with potentially a 30-point lead, 35-point lead in the, for the nomination, you might suggest, well, you look, it might not be worth giving the other candidates that airtime. Although I do think Trump can sometimes be at his best during the debates. Look, the first debate against Biden was not his best. But then the second debate, I thought he was very good. I think some of the debates versus Clinton, he showed his charm. What do you guys think on I mean, that? But point? this is, I mean, you're, not? I mean, you're talking about tactics now, but I think the American people expect as much as we think, you know, RFK Jr. and Williamson are whack jobs. One of the ways we want to see is that Joe Biden can get on a stage and make his points. The same is true on your side. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. a lot of there's a lot of B candidates but I do think it's one of the ways you show your chops. And I want to say, you know what DeSantis reminds me of? Every year, every election cycle, we build one guy up. Last time it was Jeb Bush. And we see on paper he speaks Spanish. He's got a lot of money. He's from a, a, he's from a purple state. We build these guys up. And then it takes kind of this debate and the rough and tumble of the campaign to realize, you know, there's no there there. I think as a matter of, you know, I'm just a commentator, but I think they should have debates on both sides, even though it might be the politically – um, the, the politically expedient thing to do, not have the debates. I think both sides should right. have debates. Well, you know more than anything, right? Being a great executive, being a great leader, being somebody who's you know good on the job does not necessarily mean you're good at the popularity contest, right? You have very few that actually kind of are both at that. So DeSantis seems to be somebody who is a success, successful executive, whether you agree with his policies or not. He certainly is getting a whole lot done in Florida. I obviously agree that it's been good but it doesn't seem like he's very captivating, at least not yet. Now, that is a learned skill, but it does not seem like he's going to be able to learn it in the time that he needs to to be prepared for the full gauntlet of the 2024 campaign. What do you think, Sliwa? I want to hear from you. uh, Have you walked out of the studio, Sliwa? Are you falling asleep? No, no, never fall asleep. Time after time, I fall asleep asleep uh, at 3 o'clock in the morning when I listen to you. Never to Frank Morano, but for some reason for Sliwa, I fall asleep. Yeah, well, that's because he's a wonk. You like the analytics. But anyway, (laughs) uh, in terms of DeSantis versus Trump, uh, DeSantis has an ad out there now, and he's got uh, Trump saying that he would appoint transgenders to his administration. Uh, true or false? I I haven't seen any uh, I haven't seen any evidence of that, so I, I haven't uh, I don't know where that would be coming from. I think this is probably just um, I think it's probably just DeSantis pushing out something that he knows would be you know red meat for the base. But where is the evidence of that? Where has Trump said any of that? He didn't do that in his first term. So it seems a little bit like DeSantis is kind of making it up off the off the cuff to throw some red meat out to the base, even if it may not be true. Well, it's in, it's in the ad. It's Donald Trump, the former president, speaking as uh, there's a comment about how Donald Trump said he's in favor of affirmative action. And also he, he, he did answer a question in the affirmative when he was asked, would he have a transgender in one of his beauty ca- uh, pageants? When did he? I, I don't remember that, but I can tell you, I do know that the president was proud of the fact that if you think about it, he is the only president in the history of our country from the very first time that he walked in the White House as either president or vice president 
who actually was pro-gay marriage, right? Obama was not the first day he walked yep. in the White House. Good point. Same thing with Joe Biden as vice president. President Trump is the only one throughout his entire term as president or vice president who was pro-gay let marriage. Me, let me trump you. Uh, hold on a second, Andrew. Let me trump you and Anthony here. When your mentor was uh, uh, in favor of uh, the Defense of Marriage Act, Chuck Schumer, I performed the first gay marriage in all of New York State in 1976 in the very projects that Bernard McGurk uh, was born and raised in, the Monroe Housing Projects in the Community Room. My two closers, Ralphie and Vinny, wanted to get married, and I officiated. 1976, when nobody was in favor of it, including gays who said, and lesbians who said, oh, we, we should be happy with domestic partnership because we don't want to rock the boat. So take that, Andrew Giuliani. Well, you know, Sliwa, I can't hold a candle to you when it comes to that and so many other so many other things right there. But I heard just the other day you actually were on Trump's golf course there at the event for George Havernack, who we know is going to be in the second round here with Christy Marmorado in the Bronx City Council District over there. And I heard you were slicing the ball right. You were hooking the ball left. I don't know. To me, it seems like you hook the you hook the ball a little too far left. Well, sometimes. I, I was in but the clubhouse. It's a little too far right. It's right <laughs> in Throg's neck. I walk in the clubhouse, and whose picture is on the wall as a two-time champion at that course? It's a beautiful picture, Andrew Giuliani. By the way, I walked a little bit of the course before the election results came in. I must uh, hand the Trump organization, family, whoever designed that magnificent course. And then I'm looking off in the distance. And fireworks are going off beyond the Throgs Neck Bridge. It was Vicky Palladino who was having the fireworks at yeah. Fort Totten. So even though it's neck and neck because it's ranked choice voting now that kicks in, i got to tell you, that's a hell of a golf course and a hell of a fireworks demonstration that uh, Vicky Palladino and her crew put on. Well, Curtis, a couple things about that golf course. First, it actually was being considered for U.S. Open before Trump announced his political ambitions because they thought something in New York City would be a great draw. It's got beautiful views. But I heard you mentioning in the last hour the amphibious landings that Lou Amarillo was drawing up for Howard Beach. I think they actually might have been considering for Ferry Point Park at one point as well because of some of the drug deals <laughs> that were going on there. So well, let me just say, Andrew, we, we have to go to a break, but I, we shouldn't have a conversation with golf without me saying this. You know, to be supporting that live golf when the Saudis, 11 to 13 homicide bombers on 9-11 were Saudis. They're still um, um, holding off the families of the 9-11 families from getting the information from the Saudis. We can't let the Saudis golf, golf wash their reputations this way. Well, I think that's also why the PGA Tour right now is taking so much heat because the PGA Tour rolled out these 9-11 families for the last year, year and a half, talking about how bad what Live Golf was doing and anybody associated with them. And then just a few weeks ago, the PGA Tour turns right back around and does a deal with those Saudis. So they seem very hypocritical in all this, and it's uh, it's going to be very interesting. It was one of the questions I posed to President Trump because he has been somebody who's talked about that. He's hosted Live Golf events, um, and it's fascinating to see that he thinks that this is something that still may not go through. So we'll see here well, in the future. Let me tell you, Andrew, I want to salute your dad because in the year or two that I was playing golf at Dyker Heights, 18-hole golf course right there in Brooklyn, this, there would always be one hole that would be separated with yellow police tape because some Colombo guy had gotten whacked 
so you can only play 17 holes. As a result of your daddy uh, dealing with the organized crime problem and street crime, Duffers at Diker Heights could now play the full 18 holes of golf that they were entitled to. And by the way, well, would you like to caddy for me there at Diker Heights, uh, Andrew? Absolutely. You take so many strokes, it'd be a 10-hour round. I don't have enough sunscreen to be able to put on to watch you hook the ball as far left as you do. So, no, I'm just glad that somebody's carrying you this morning on the air. Andrew Giuliani, the host of the Andrew Giuliani Show, Sundays at 4. Is that right, Andrew? No, 2 to 3. 2 to 3, Two o'clock. Two o'clock. Tune in.